Welcome to the Feed Weekly, where we take a fresh look at New Zealand's most important food stories. Proudly brought to you by AUT, Plant and Food and Beef and Lamb New Zealand. Don't forget to join us at thefeed.co.nz and now for a bite. After two years of COVID disruption, Visa Wellington on a Plate is back. New Zealand's most innovative food festival, possibly its largest, and we'll ask Sarah about that in a minute, is uh, this month-long celebration of food, beer and burgers and capital culture in Wellington, of course. This year's theme is State of Flux. I wonder why. And to talk about this year's event, I'm joined by Director Sarah Meikle and the Head of Programming and Events, Beth Brash. Thank you so much, both of you, for joining us at The Feed. Thank you. Um, Well, let's talk about state of flux. I mean, duh, hasn't not everyone been in a state of flux, but you really have been. Sarah, tell us about what it's been like in the last two years to try and pull this event together during a pandemic. (laughs) Um, I've learned a lot in the last two years. I think we all have. Um, Probably not the best industry to be in in a pandemic, kind of tourism and events. It's quite challenging when people are Mm. limited to go out. But I think what's really forced us to be a lot more creative in our thinking, and um, I hate that word pivot, but, man, we're masters of it. We can can literally, you know, turn on a dial. But I think what it has done more than anything has really made people realise and value their local hospitality communities more than ever because when something's taken away from you, you want it more. And I think mm. you kind of also appreciate the value of what that brings you in your life and the entertainment and enjoyment you get from eating out. But also the fact that when you eat out, you're not usually eating by yourself. You're socializing with your friends. And, mm. you know, it's that kind of core kind of thing about being a human, like just, you know, being sustained and entertained. And that's what restaurants do fantastically well. So, um, yeah, it's been it's been a great learning. I don't really want to go through it again, though. <laughs> Tried by fire. Um, just um, what did you? How did you run last year's event? Was it was it? It wasn't cancelled altogether, was it? No, we actually have managed to deliver festival both years of the pandemic. Um, the first year we simply delayed it a few months and actually ran it as planned because we moved it to. It was October, and October's got 31 days, and so we literally just lifted and shifted. Um, that worked really well. Um, last year, however, it was a little bit more disappointing because we were planning, and we ran it in August as planned, uh, and halfway through, uh, we were shut down abruptly with a lockdown, uh, which meant that we had to put everything on hold and then postpone you know, much of the activity, which was great mm-hmm. in terms of recovery activity immediately post-lockdown for people to get out and enjoy hospitality and restaurants again. But, um, I, you know, I certainly, I mean, I think we all agree internally, it loses some momentum because obviously you invest a lot of time and energy in working up to it. So when mm-hmm. there's a three-week break in the middle, it kind of, yeah, puts a bit of a dampener on the activity. Yeah. Great. Well, the good news is that you've retained your sponsors and your partners and in great enthusiasm from, obviously, the food community all looking forward to the event. Uh, Beth, give us a summary of how the event works. There's so many parts to it now. Can you can you give us an introduction to sure. anyone that doesn't know how Visa Wellington on a Plate works? So the festival itself runs for a month. Uh, in that you've got a few streams of activity. So um, it kicks off with Dine Wellington. So that's literally Wellington on a plate. So we ask uh, restaurants to create a festival dish 
and that's their Wellington. So they, yeah, that's their Wellington dish. So they, um, that's a real storytelling piece for food. So they can tell, yeah, any story they like um, and what sort of inspired that dish. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then uh, that leads into the juggernaut. I'm sure lots of people know um, for Wellington on a plate, uh, Burger Wellington. And that's in the last two weeks of the festival. And that's really a very um, popular part of the festival. So we have over 200 restaurants this year taking part in Burger Wellington. And that's a bit of a cult thing. So, uh, yeah, you can go and try as many burgers as you like around the greater Wellington region. And I think I feel like on average, most people are trying around at least 10. But, you know, we've heard of it's not uncommon to hear sort of 20 up to 40, one guy once ate 90 in uh, 17 days. So, yeah, quite an amazing part of the festival. And then uh, running across the whole month, we have Cocktail Wellington. So, again, you can a little aperitif or digestif uh, before or after your meal. Um, and then we have our events program. So that's pop-ups, ticketed events, free events, um, yeah, we have speaker series and, yeah, anything you can imagine when it comes to food. I feel like you've forgotten Biavana in that mix. Well, Biavana is is a part – we run Biavana, not um, – and, yeah, just because we aren't busy enough, we just decided to do uh, <laughs> two, two things. Um, yeah, so that we, we run it. It's part of the festival. It has to apply and we can either choose to – accept it or not we've chosen to accept it this year in the program so yeah um, Biavana runs on the 19th and 20th of August great you have a really um, detailed program which uh, I know is um, held in in great anticipation so when is that that program will be uh, well we're recording this what what are we today we're recording this on the 27th the program gets live when so we'll have our program launch on Monday the 30th, and then the website goes live at 10 a.m. on the following day, on Tuesday. The okay. 30th. Well, for the, our lucky listeners, they will uh, you will be able to see the program at the Visa Wellington on a Plate website, which we let's do the ad now. What is the website? It's visawoap.com. That's all there. Okay. There you go. All right. So, um, what are you looking forward to? I know there, there is so much in this festival, but. Um, what are some of the highlights that you want to tell us about? I can go first. You guys oh, well, I, yeah, you, you guys fight it out. Of the program guide, which I'm holding. Uh, Vincent. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, obviously, we, we do get a bit of an insight into what's happening. Beth, in particular, is intimately involved with um, curating the program and you know she's the one who gets like the, on the very first moment that anything's submitted she can see what's coming in so um, mm-hmm. right back in February when we kind of start the process um, even earlier in some cases um, she's getting an insight but the program this year is um, I describe it as being very thoughtful I think people have really responded beautifully to the concept of being in a state of flux and they've used that to create an event program which is their own interpretation of what that means but you know obviously it's exploring all sorts of things like time and space and you know you know what does it mean to be in a state of flux or at a moment of tra- change or transition and um so you know we've got lots and lots of fantastic events you know people exploring their 
culinary histories, people exploring the culinary future, um, and and kind of everything in between. I mean, I think every year there's, I, I think it's always surprising to us. We always look through the program in advance and say, oh, that'll be great, that'll be great. You know, people are going to love that. But it's also surprising. I think every year there are real, um, there are events that you just got no idea that are so popular and they obviously mm. just really play a chord with people and, you know, uh, uh, something that is of great interest. But there's a lot of exploration this year into kind of, I think, you know, culinary themes, so kind of history and um, and, and perhaps cultures that we are less familiar with, mm-hmm. um, which is exciting because that's the whole point of having a food festival. It's to kind of give people a taste of things they're not used to. Well, the original question was, um, what are you looking forward to, Sarah? So uh, I'm going to have to get you to commit. And I know that you won't <laughs> want to favour because you'll like them all. It's very but, hard but... to commit to anything. <laughs> um, I mean, because, I, and I, you know, there are so many wonderful events. But, yeah, I'm really looking forward to, um, oh, there's a pretty interesting-looking event that explores Inuit food, um, mm-hmm. which I think looks fascinating because because I've never eaten food from the I suppose that region before um what else are you looking forward to I mean, what, what do you think Inuit food is I am well, thinking quite shamey yeah. quite fishy quite hunted quite wild mm-hmm. <laughs> the best description <laughs> yes, um yeah but I've been a, you know kind of prepared in different ways I think you know that's the thing that's not just it's ingredients that we can get here but it's the preparation and how they treat uh their food I think would be really mm. really cool um there's a couple of you know, great, you know, I was just, there's a great story behind that so chef Johnny Taggart he during lockdown just did one of those DNA tests and found that he had a strong connection, had had roots in the Canadian First Nations, and so did what any chef would do and started to kind of connect to his whakapapa through food. And I think, you know, that's that's a really, you know, and and as Sarah said, there's lots of these these stories of people connecting to their lineage or to, um, yeah, to their culture through food. Mm. Uh, I could tell you one that stood out for me, uh, just because um, I absolutely loathe sauerkraut, and I can't believe that anyone would run a sauerkraut masterclass. But uh, Esther's sauerkraut masterclass happening in uh, Miramar uh, on uh, what is it Tuesday and Wednesday, seventeenth. Sauerkraut is so hot right now. So when did when when did something like that become so popular? And why am I out of the loop on this? Maybe thousands of years ago, it got quite popular. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when they started making it. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, anyway, good good on Esther, and uh, I hope it's very popular. I, I won't be attending. Um, what about you, Beth? What's um, what's a highlight for you? Yeah, I I really love these um, crossovers between food and X. You know, we've got uh, there's a uh, art exhibition, so food-related art exhibition at mm-hmm. uh, Coco. Uh, a bit of a uh, passion project, um, I guess, that uh, of mine is that sort of the lineage of, of food. And, and um, so for the last few years, we've run the Wellington Food Stories uh, speaker series. Mm. And so for the last two years, 
we've had different people from different parts of Wellington's um, different culture communities um, speaking about that impact um, that they've had or and the lineage of um, that culture in Wellington's food story. Uh, yeah. So this year uh, we actually started off with uh, Her Excellency, um, Miss Mi Chu, who, she's the High Commissioner of Malaysia. Um, mm-hmm. And so, yeah, talking about, I mean, we have so many amazing Malaysian restaurants here in Wellington. And so mm-hmm. maybe giving a little bit of reason behind that and but talking about that, um, the immigration coming over um, from Malaysia to, to Wellington. Um, yeah, and just hearing so many stories about kind of what has what makes Wellington's food scene so diverse and so so interesting. Yeah. Um, so I'm yeah. really looking forward to that. Uh, another sort of great crossover. There's um, a event called Sex and Food, uh, and maybe not quite the crossover you're thinking, but it's a burlesque and uh, food show, and that's run by. George Fowler, who is otherwise known as Hugo Girl. Mm. And so that should be very fun, a little risque, but, um, yeah, I'm really looking forward to that. Yeah, that sounds good. I, I was also um, on a kind of related theme. Um, I, I would quite like to go to a Beast of a Feast, which is mm. uh, one of these crossover events held at Wellington Zoo. Um, and um, just sort of seems appropriate, doesn't it? I imagine it will be a very meaty affair. Yeah, I think there's also a lot of quite, um, quite meaty events this year, actually. Kind of, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. There's also, you, I guess, maybe it's like the, the pendulum swing. You know, yeah, yeah. Lots of lots yeah. of vegan events and lots of like highly highly um, mm. meaty, but or meaty yeah, I mean, but highly protein. Like there's lots of high protein. Yes, that's right. There's <laughs> yeah. a there is a um, there's an alt protein uh, plant power by Bangs. So um, tell us about that. Inspired by the hippie movement of the 1960s. Uh, and of the post-World War II America, plant-based Bangs is taking the helm of Burger Liquor, uh, taking the helm of Burger Liquor and throwing a plant-powered party. Good. Mm. Sounds good. We always yeah, used to joke that, they, uh, um, you know, if you um, – oh, I won't tell that joke. It's inappropriate. But, um, <laughs> yeah, tell us more about um, plant-powered by Bangs. Well, there's, there's quite a few pop-ups that seem to have kind of harked back to nostalgia. So – that one sort of 1960s. I think there's a, there's also another that is um, fondue at LBQ. Um, yeah, I mean, I think when you have a place like Burger Liquor, and they so they you know they do uh, some of Wellington's greatest burgers, um, mm. and you know obviously very meaty. And I think that's what I love about the festival, particularly in the, these the pop up realm, is it gives these restaurants a chance to just try something completely new and you know and I, don't, I just don't think anywhere really uh else in New Zealand even the world you that restaurants really just get a chance once a year to completely change it up and give things a go and and mm. and um yeah you see sort of high uh fine dining restaurants turning into you know burger joints or um yeah, Field and Green, which is a hatted restaurant, you know, every year. Laura uh, is she explores um, sort of her the Jewish heritage, but also the sort of Jewish diaspora across the world. So, yeah, it's sort of it, I just think it's such a fascinating part of the festival. That. Mm. So we're into the fourteenth year, um, Sarah. What makes this 
such a successful and enduring proposition? Oh, it's just so um, well organized. <laughs> think, um, that's definitely part of it. Um, but I think probably a number, there are a number of factors. Um, one, we've got an extremely committed hospitality and restaurant sector who all want to work together for the kind of greater good of creating this outcome of the festival. And it really does need a very collaborative um, mm. community to make it happen. Um, and that's a hugely important part. But I think the other thing for us that um, a lot of people sort of overlook when they pull festivals together like this is just the importance of curation and that you actually are, you know, it's not just a random collection of things that come together. There is a whole process and back end to making it happen, which is probably very boring for a lot of people. Um, they just like the outcome at the end. But, you know, most people would be very surprised to know that um, working on a festival like this you know, the life cycle of some elements of the festival can be two or three years in the making, if not mm. longer. Um, and in fact, the life cycle of a, real, of a whole festival really is about 11 and a half months. You know, I mean, there isn't really a huge gap between the end of one and the start of the next. And, you know, we have really clear and broad, you know, criteria. There's quite a lot of guideline work that goes out. There's a, you know, a real process in terms of the application process. And we require a lot of information from people up front. So we've kind of required people to have a really good think about what they want to do as part of the festival well in mm. advance. And that, you know, that's probably a barrier for a lot of places. Um, mm. It also means that it's quite hands-on and requires a lot of people to make it happen. But um, to your point, it's enduring and that's why, because it's, you know, had this sort of massaging and um, working towards this bigger outcome. And I think um, when I look around, you know, not just New Zealand, but the world, you know, food festivals come and go, you know, they, they, they're fleeting, but um, often they're organised by, you know, voluntary committees and someone leaves and they've got they've got the passion and, you know, it's, you kind of need, it needs to be professionally run, I suppose. Mm, mm, mm. But it does sound like a kind of the perfect combination of a willing community that's prepared to put in the mahi, obviously your, your professional management team, and also a, a city council. Perhaps is there has there been you know has has Wellington itself been supportive? Yeah, of, very, of very the festival? supportive. And, um, and and not just the council, we've got some fantastic commercial sponsors. And obviously, we're very lucky that we've got a sponsor like Visa. They've been on board since year two. And mm. um, we're very proud of our relationship with them. And, um, you know, it's sort of, again, it's kind of a back-end thing that no one worries about. But, you know, Visa, we are their second longest running partnership globally behind the Olympics. That's quite oh, significant okay. when you think about, you know, sort of yeah, the yeah. power of a yeah, very large like these are. Mm, so, um, mm. yeah, so we've got a great relationship with them and they really help us extend the work that we do through our marketing. So, um, you know, we work with them to do a lot of promotion outside of Wellington and internationally as well. And that's been a huge advantage to growing the brand of the festival and its, and its reputation. Um, and I think also, you know, in previous years, obviously the last couple of years, we've had a slightly different programming um, perspective. But as in previous years, we've had international chefs involved here and there throughout the program as well. Um, it's been a really good way to really put the word out too around Wellington mm -hmm. as being a culinary destination and chefs talk and people go, oh, yeah, I've heard of that festival. And, you know, and obviously um, we look forward to at some point soon welcoming back more 
international chefs because they add a different flavor to the festival um as you know and 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 it's not just about those chefs coming here and entertaining guests but it's also those chefs coming here and working with um our chefs and you know our chefs learning from them and it's so it's a you know so it's a great opportunity for everyone Beth, you've got also out-of-towners coming in. I mean, not just participants, but other restaurants and chefs, right? So how does that work if you're a, if you're a not Wellington-based uh, restaurant or chef? How, how, how does one participate? Yeah, so the, in with, so Sarah mentioned the International Chef Collab. So um, this year we have just a smattering, just, you know, we're just dipping our toes back into the international waters. So we have Palisa Anderson coming from um, Boone Cafe in Sydney. Um, we've been trying to get her over now for the last two years. She was in the program last year, didn't come with borders closing. And then the year before um, had had her locked in, but other things happened. Uh, yeah. So that's very exciting. So the, Quite often that's either, it happens one of two ways really, either that's a relationship that we have or we're reaching out to certain people that we are interested in and have caught our eye within, uh, you know, the last sort of while, or we really encourage uh, restaurants, the restaurants here, any relationships they have, um, yeah, to that they reach out and, um, mm-hmm. and yeah, but do you have and do you have new, other New Zealand chefs and restaurants participating? I, I, yeah. you know, I know that there are there are Aucklanders who are participating, right? Yes, yeah. Forest, like the, they're coming down um, actually at Atlas, so they're doing a huge. Um, they've got a it's called like the chef sessions, and um, yeah. So who they've got they've got Alta coming down, um, Black Estate. Uh, Martin Bosley, The Grove, Paris Butter, Mapu from down in Christchurch. Um, mm. One thing I'm super excited about is Mark Olive. So he's a mm. um, chef from, uh, so First Nations chef from Australia, um, coming over and doing a, an event at the Australian High Commission. So that mm. was the Australian High Commission coming to us and saying, hey, look, we would love to showcase this cuisine um, you know, we want to do it at the Australian High Commissioner's house. You know, it's this, it's those kind of events where it's Wonderful. truly once in a lifetime experience. And you know, you, yeah, it's not often that you can be invited into these uh, into these residents and and also to have someone like Mark Olive um, cooking that food, I think, will be extremely special. Yeah, there's a special sauce around this. You know, speaking of special and. Um, I've always wondered, Sarah, why other cities don't pick up on the model. And at one level, it's quite replicable, right? It's you, you look mm. at the program, you could say, "Hey, we could we could do that in Tauranga or in Sydney or wherever." Um, but I don't think they have, right? And it no. does seem quite a unique combination of factors. Have you ever tried to, I don't know, export the IP? Yeah, um, we certainly have been approached a few times. I, I look to be honest. I'll, I'll be very honest and say that the really the key reason that it, it doesn't get replicated, um, it, it does really come down to the cost of actually undertaking projects like this. And mm-hmm. I think you know it looks very easy and simple on the surface to deliver a festival. So we'll just invite a few restaurants in and we'll do these things and we'll create events. Mm-hmm. But to market it properly and pull it all together and really build something that is enduring and sustaining and building a brand behind it as well, you really need to invest. And you know, and mm-hmm. we've made a really 
well over the last 14 years a huge investment in the festival um mm. and um and i think that really is probably the thing that people stop and realize that um you know it's very very difficult to do that i think the other thing that really stops people and 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 this is really the reason we started is that there is effectively market failure in the restaurant sector i.e. you have lots and lots of small businesses doing their own thing but they don't really collaborate that well together and so it really does take the impetus of an independent kind of person to come in and say hey guys let's all make you work together and make that happen and um we were really fortunate in here in Wellington so when um I started the festival. I was working at the regional tourism organisation, and so I had their backing to kind of get it going because it was actually one of the objectives that we wanted to kind of fix. August. It was a really cold and quiet, you know, month here in Wellington. Still is cold, but definitely not quiet. Um, and um, and so you know, myself and a colleague of mine at the Economic Development Agency got together, and we kind of had the backing of our organisations for a few years, which kind of gave us the kickoff that we mm -hmm. needed to get started. Um, but and so, and it wasn't until about the fifth year in we transitioned across to be an independent. And you know, it really we needed those five years to get bedded in and build a brand and kind of find our way a wee bit and spend some time researching and looking at what other festivals and events we're doing because. I think that's the other thing about festivals and events. They only work when they really are made for that place. And so, boss, you can pick up a model and kind of replicate it. You do need to make a few tweaks to make it work locally because everyone's got different geography and all sorts of, you know, kind of other things to deal with. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's it's sort of it's a, it's a hard but easy answer, really. It kind of comes down to cash. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, we talk about um, food tourism, don't we? And it, at a kind of superficial level, talking about creating festivals seems like a real yeah. uh, kind of templated cookie cutter approach, doesn't it? But what you're saying is you can't just deploy, you know, festival into a region. It has to be, um, what I'm hearing is it has to be really ground up mm -hmm. and created with locals and local conditions in mind really thought through about what makes you different and special like you know you can't just be the same as everyone else and, and and look you know of course it's incredibly flattering when you hear someone starts a festival and they've copied bits and, of things that you've created you know and, and that's all fine um and you know that, that they've kind of taken an idea but they're always going to be oh we're just like such and such they don't own it you know no one likes to be oh we're just like blah 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 like mm -hmm. we're just, we're actually, we, we, you know, we are, we're like us. So, you know, like, and I think that's the thing is we've created this thing that's ours and, um, and it is, it's, and, and I think the other thing, and, you know, um, Beth and I spend a lot of time invested in this part of it is actually that consulting and working with the industry. So, you know, a festival can't stay the same. It can't just sit there and be the same in year in, year out. And if we look at the festival now versus 14 years ago, it's an entirely different beast. And that's mm -hmm. purely off the back of working with the industry and finding out what they want. How do they want it to change and evolve and work for their businesses? Because that's who we're doing it for. If you were to say, um, you know, if someone was to say, hey, we want to do our own festival, I'm sure you would say, well, get your own for a start. Um, we've got one, thank you very much. But um, what do you say to people? I know that you go around the country talking yeah, to people yeah, about we do. this. Stuff. And, so, and look, so, I'm happy to actually help people because, I mean, people might think I'm crazy, and I, but I say this a lot. My team gets so annoyed, I'm sure, with me laughing these sort of like things out. But 
all boats float on a rising tide. You know, like New Zealand is a small mm. country and we need to be great everywhere for food. We can't just be great in one place. And I mean, we're not, mm. of course, there's wonderful food all over New Zealand. But, man, if someone else wants to start a food festival, go for it. I mean, if they, you know, if they want to like one like ours, go for it. I mean, we'll be hugely supportive because actually it makes New Zealand a more attractive food destination internationally. And that's what, that's ultimately what we want because we want our reputation to be known globally. So, all right. So, here's a scenario I'm from Whanganui in Manawatu, and I'm thinking, wouldn't it be great? Where would I start, Sarah and Beth? What would I, what would be the first thing I should do? Do you want to start, Beth, or do you want me to start? Yeah, I think, I mean, it, you would get, it, you just get industry buy-in, wouldn't you? you? You really do have to have the restaurants on board. And as Sarah said, we have a, you know, like I'm constantly chatting, you know, like even at the weekends if I go out to the pub, the, you know, the, there's always having conversations about how I should do my job, <laughs> Not about how the festival should be run and that sort of thing. But it's, it is, um, yeah, like it, it is, it is something where it has to work for the people you're putting it on for. Otherwise, they mm. won't do it. And mm. so that's that's where you start is finding out what the problem is that I guess that you want to solve. For Sarah, you know, with that, that KPI that she had 14 years ago was to reinvigorate hospitality in August. Well, you know, you can you can. 100% say, say that she's ticked that KPI off. You know, it's the second busiest time of year in Wellington for hospitality, second only to the lead up to Christmas and Christmas parties. So it's, you know, it is it is a phenomenal thing. And I think, yeah, if there's, if there's probably if there is something to 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 work on and, and either fix or there's sort of, yeah, that, that, that mm-hmm. buy-in. Um, yeah, yeah a common purpose. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I'd say the other thing you kind of need to be kind of aware of is what's your point of difference? Like what, what's the thing that you're going to hang your hat on so that you mm. can kind of have a different story? And, you know, I, we face this all the time. I, I work all around New Zealand with different regions, and it's wonderful to meet such incredible people everywhere I are in New Zealand in the food sector. But I can tell you right now, every region of New Zealand has passionate food producers, suppliers, restaurateurs, and the best community ever, that's not a point of difference because we've actually all got that. It's wonderful right. that we've got that. <laughs> um, yep. So it's actually digging a bit deeper and really kind of identifying something that's, you know, yours. And mm. and in Wellington's case, you know, we, we do span the entire Wellington region, um, but you know, one of our key kind of things is about our cosmopolitan sort of city story because we do have this very compact, tight central city and it's everything's walkable and, and that's very, very important to, to the actual communication of our, you know, festival. And every region has its thing, you know. It's just, it's really teasing out what that thing is so that you can give people reasons um, because, you know, there's only 5 million of us. So <laughs> we sort of, you know, we need reasons to go from A to B. So, um, but yeah, as I say, look, hey, guys, if you want to start a food festival, go for it. I think it's great. You know, and it's. There's only 5 million us, but there's um, there's 7 billion people in the world. Sure are. Many of whom we want to come down to our lovely country. So um, thanks for your hard work, 
Sarah Meikle and um, and Beth Brash for pulling together this event. It's very cool. Everything's so slick about it, and I, I do actually have a sneak peek of the um, of the program. It's looking really great this year. So congratulations. Look forward to seeing you. Um, is there a launch event? Is there something that kind of kicks it off on the first of August? Well, it's actually yeah. the first of August. It's a couple of days early. Go for it, Beth. You talk about it. Yeah. So, um, yeah, we this year, so the last few years we've had uh, a launch event called Hot for Chicken, and uh, that's where we have worked with Morgan McGlone, so um, New Zealand boy, but um, gone overseas and worked in great restaurants all over the world and then opened a fried chicken restaurant in Melbourne. Um, but we wanted to change it up. Now there's, it seems to be that there's fried chicken uh, places on every corner in Wellington. Maybe we're to blame, maybe we're not. Um, so we wanted to change that up. So this year we, uh, for the, the three days leading up to the first, so the Friday the 29th to Sunday the 31st of July, we're doing the Sea Breeze Inn. And the Sea Breeze Inn is, a, is our take on sort of touching on that sort of nostalgic piece of family restaurants and, um, you know, the fish and chip store uh, that of, you know, of our childhood. But then, hmm. you know, like looking to the future and going, how do we reimagine those both from a sustainable food point of view and, yeah, future, um, just, yeah, future food focused. So, but, you know, like all very fun. It's going to be popping up in an old car mechanics, uh, just very near Moore Wilson's. And looking Six at College Street. That's right, yeah. In fact. Yeah. Uh, and, fantastic. And now you carry on. Oh, we're just at, in the process of also, um, so we've got Morgie there um, and he's just, uh, he's, yeah, he's, he knows everybody, basically. So we're um, in the process of also talking to some more chefs, international chefs, to come down for that too.